everybody. This is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Welcome back to another show. I have such a good friend of mine. I'm just so happy to have her here with me today. Her name is Tiffany. She used to be a case manager where I work now, and she's doing some other things, which I don't even know what, but I think they're pretty important. It <laughs> sounds pretty interesting, <laughs> Tiffany. So welcome, Tiffany. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you, Tina, for your invitation. <laughs> I appreciate it. And I miss working with you every day. Oh, I thank you. I miss getting to see you. Um, and I'm excited that your new job is going to be bringing you around again. So we get to see your face again. Gorgeous, Tiffany. So what kind of nursing did you do before? You did, you were a case manager, but before that. Yeah. So um, I started my journey in nursing way back in 1999. I went to LP in school. Oh. And um, I did long-term care for a long time. Uh, my kids went to school. I wanted a nine-to-five job so I could be at home on the weekends and holidays and that sort of thing. So then I was an OBGYN nurse um, for about five years. And um, he closed and I did primary care. And then I went to an insurance company where I did case management and utilization review and then went back and got my RN and um, entered into the hospital from there. That's awesome. Uh, we have a lot of LPNs, LPN and LVNs that listen uh -huh. to our show. They are such an important part of the healthcare team. I love them, and I they deserve all the respect that everybody else in the healthcare team deserves. So I hate when I hear people say, that they're getting phased out or that they're not going to be. Nope, that is not true for what number one. There are still jobs out there for LPNs and LVNs. I agree with you. Um, an interesting fact here, one of the local hospitals, we had our work Christmas party last night and we had some executives from hospitals in our area and they were actually talking about since there's such a nursing shortage with RNs, they're bringing LPNs back to work the floor in these big hospitals, which really tickled me because I've met some RNs who weren't worth a darn and I've met some LPNs who weren't worth a darn and I've met some LPNs that could work some RNs under the table yeah. it's all about skill set and passion for what we're doing so I was super excited to hear that last night I love that you said that it is not about a piece of paper one no. of my instructors when I went to where I went to school at LMU she said she was an LPN and she's she was an LPN for most of her career but then she wanted to teach, so she went back and got her RN, then kind of skipped over and did the RN to MSN to become a teacher. Uh -huh. But she said, uh -huh. I had been doing it all those years. I just needed the piece of paper to be able to get, That's you know, because right. she, she wanted to teach. So, uh -huh. yeah, thank you for saying that. I, I love to throw them some respect, and every now and then Absolutely. they message me all the time. And I love you guys so much. So we're, we've got some really interesting stories today. Some, first of all, the news story that we we have is actually a sort of semi-local story scary. <laughs> which is sort of scary this woman is she's not a nurse but she impersonated a nurse and this happened a few months ago I think but she just sort of reached an agreement I think with I think it was federal yeah. charges yeah she a federal plea deal and I thought this was a few years ago, but like she's just now pleading out and it's 2019. That scares yeah, me. Yeah, because someone sent me this story, and I, I'm not sure when, but someone sent me this story pretty recently. And I remember looking up the story and thinking, oh, wow, that's right here. And we we did an yeah. impersonator, nurse impersonator story. I think Sam and I did that way back when, a long time ago. And 
and we talked about imposter syndrome. We kind of just sort of took us in all kinds of different directions of conversation. But it was weird to see this hit so close to home. And I kind of put it on the back burner because I thought, well, I don't know what's going to happen. This person was accused of it, but I didn't know. That's crazy. Really, like, you know, all the details. So did you watch the video that goes with it? So I didn't watch the, the video this time when I read this story, this article, but I watched it. I remember, you know, watching the video before when she was first charged and they had interviewed the some of the family members and the people that she had impacted. And I remember thinking, that's what I did. Someone like this, does she even understand the importance of what she's doing and how she's put these people at risk? That's what that's what hit home with me. Like, does she have any idea? Not only has she stolen someone's identity, that's bad enough. I don't do like three people's identity because they matched her name in some way, shape, form or fashion. But she's putting these people at risk. And just do you think that she, I don't know what she's thinking. Does she not care? Or does she just think, oh, well, it's just not going to hurt anyone. I well, are you serious? Like, there's a reason that you have to be a nurse to take care of these people. They needed a nurse and you're not one. So you're just going to step in and think that you can. She could have killed someone. Yeah, uh, she definitely was very brazen. I had really good self-esteem, I guess, to steal somebody's identity. And then you think about when you're a home health care nurse, first of all, those people are relying on you. You are their lifeline. Everything mm-hmm. that you say, they take, and they, and they most of the time really take it to heart. I mean, their lives are really in your hands. And so, like, she put insulin in his tube feed. Oh. And I'm thinking, what the heck? Like she thought that was how you administer insulin, I guess. I, I have no clue. But I was looking. She worked at one, two, three, four, five, six different places as an RN. Two home health cares. <laughs> two skilled nursing facilities and an OB or three skilled nursing facilities and an OBGYN office. What in the heck? How did she get past all of the checks? I don't know. It just seems really, it's scary to me that someone would be able to fool six different companies. How? I don't know how that happened. Well, so here's my next question. When you work in a skilled nursing facility, because I've done that before in a nursing home, you have checkoffs and you have evaluations and you have to have, you have to be checked off on med carts and med administration. So how was she giving insulin in the skilled nursing facility? Did, was, did she work in the home health after she worked at the skilled nursing facility? Because at some point somebody would have watched her give insulin, pull it up, then she would know you don't put it in the bag. So was she really trying to kill him? That brings a whole other level to me. I mean, Tiffany, why would she, if you were going to be so brazen as to do this, wouldn't you just at least Google how to do something? I mean, at the very least. Yeah. Which also brings me back to if she had worked at those skilled nursing facilities before, she would have probably watched somebody give insulin. If you, if you saw someone, so if someone comes to work for your facility, surely, even if they're experienced, surely they have to go through an orientation process, you would think, or something, to where you would watch them do, I mean, I would hope anyway. I know, I've worked at a skilled facility, and I've watched other nurses pull up insulin. I mean, you see them, if they're working, they're pulling it up. I mean, if you're doing your med pass, you're doing it. So, I just, I don't, the whole thing is just really crazy to me. She's really brave, and that's really scary because if she yeah. got away with it, I wonder how many other people are. Well, it said she just did a random search on the Department of Health website for her first and middle name. 
And when she found someone with a first and middle name that she same as hers, then that's how she found the person to impersonate. It's crazy. It is crazy. He says, I remember he remembered her coming in, putting the food bag on me and leaving. So she gave him insulin through his what they're saying food bag and he remembers getting tired and and blacked out oh that's so scary he really he could have died there's no doubt about that it's just awful yeah it's so reckless that's the key word reckless it says that the sentence is going to be she hasn't been sentenced yet she has pled guilty but the the sentence is going to be determined by the court after it receives a report from the united states probation office so i don't know what she's going to get the punishment for health care fraud which is what she was charged with, carries up to 10 years in prison and a fine of up to $250,000 or both. And then the punishment for using another person's means of identification with the intent to commit federal offenses and state felonies is imprisonment of not more than 15 years and a fine of not more than $250,000. I'm not sure why she wasn't charged with attempted homicide, you know. Or involuntary, maybe something. I don't know. I don't know. Is there not an appropriate that has something to do with harming another, like not caring that you just almost killed someone? I don't understand how she wasn't charged with something like that. Or criminal negligence. Yeah. That sounds fancy, doesn't it? Well, it sounds appropriate. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't know how she worked at all these different places and was never checked off on a skill. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just don't understand. If you were working with the nurse who was, even if they just were fresh out of nursing school and you saw them try to put insulin into a feeding tube, what would would you, (laughs) I would just be like. Probably stroke out. I'd be like, what the heck are you doing? I would be making a beeline to the manager's office going, there. I'm she sorry. She is not ready. I am all about giving people chances and educating and trying to be supportive of new nurses. But I could not imagine someone going through nursing school and thinking <laughs> that that at all was, a, was appropriate or ever doing something like that. I would think she would need to go back to nursing school mm-hmm. she needs or to, even go. I just don't know. <laughs> Well, she obviously not funny. never stepped foot in a nursing school. Right. I had no idea what in the world she was doing. So scary. I saw on the on the news article where um, the the little the man was uh, in his home with his wife and their grandkids were all around, mm-hmm. and I was like, they were so lucky. Yeah, they were. Like he he really probably should have died if his wife hadn't been home. He could have. I mean, because he was drooling, couldn't keep his eyes open. He could have died, and then what? I'm I'm so glad that it was uncovered and they they found her out. So her name was Misty Dawn Bacon. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think Bacon is I guess that's her actual name. It is. Her name is Misty Dawn Bacon. She would just use different variations of that name, I guess. She got away with it somehow. Hopefully somewhere in the powers that be someone is looking at this story saying, "What can we do to make sure this doesn't happen again?" Because six different places she was able to fool these people. Six different places. Let's hope that they've figured out some way to keep people from being able to do this in the future. Yeah, I hope so. Because, man, I wonder how she just didn't walk around with an ulcer all the time. If I was lying like that, I'd be a nervous wreck. After doing this podcast, I figured out there's some (laughs) people that are not like us that, that don't have that thing inside of them that creates that anxiety in your stomach that makes you feel like, oh, I feel like a horrible Mm. person. There's just, there's people that don't have that. They literally are just callous and they, it's all about them. It doesn't matter. We're very different. I'm happy to be very different. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. 
So our bad nurse story this week is really interesting because we're going to go all the way back to the late 1800s. And I love, if, like for me, movies, books, anything like that, I love period pieces. I love it. I'm just like, oh, take me all the way back, 100, 200 years. <laughs> <laughs> yes, darling, take me back. Take me all the way back. <laughs> so I'm so excited about this story. It is Mary Ann Cotton. And we're also, not only are we going all the way back to the late 1800s, but we're going to go across the pond over to Britain. And I'm terrible at accents, but I like to pretend like I can do it anyway. So what did you think about this story? I'm, I'm like... She freaks me out just looking at the pictures of her. Well, first of all, I noticed in her picture it said she was like 41 and she looks like 71. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She had a way with, with men somehow because well, she, she did, got didn't around. she? She made her way around England. So she grew up in northeastern England. And so a, a former school superintendent who, I guess, where, where she went to school, described her as a most exemplary and a regular attender. So I guess that's good. A girl of innocent disposition, average intelligence. That didn't sound very good. Bless her heart. Bless her heart. She wasn't too smart. <laughs> she was distinguished for her particularly clean and tidy appearance. To me, it almost sounds like somebody who's trying to not say anything negative, but absolutely. I didn't want to say anything bad about her. So right. I'll just say she's distinguished for her particularly clean and tidy appearance. <laughs> she knows how to take a good bath. <laughs> In 1842, Marianne's father fell 150 feet to his death down a mine, a mine shaft. So then her, this is terrible when I think about uh -huh. this. And I think about this time. I love to read Charles Dickens and Jane Austen, and this is a little bit past that period, but still it sort of makes me think of that industrial time of, of this time period where human life was almost just, it was expendable. It's unfortunate, it especially people in this class level and that, you know, the, the British people are as, at this time were very, they, they sort of separated everyone out by class Right. And if you fell into that lower sort of working class tier, your life was expendable. So th this is awful. When I read this and it said that his body was delivered to her mother in a sack bearing the stamp property of the South Hetton Coal Company. Mm -hmm. That's just awful. And, and I just think, wow, that's. Yeah. And she was eight. So could you imagine your dad's body being delivered to your house in a bag? Like he wasn't even dignified enough to, to deserve something a little more humane. Even a box, just a box yeah. in a sack. And to be labeled property mm -hmm. of, a, of, a, of this company, it's just awful. And at the young age of eight, I, I know that there are plenty of people in this world, and I'm one of them, who've been through some things in their childhood who it's I guess if you want to look at back at someone's childhood who's done some bad things and then they happen to have been through some some difficult times like this then sometimes people want to correlate the two things sure and I don't I don't think that that's always the case it's not the case in my in my in, in, for my life I went through some stuff in my childhood and then I wanted to be a better person. Right. So I think that there are so many people, millions of people out there who've just been through really difficult times when they were children, and they're still compassionate, caring, giving people. Sure. I think she had some daddy issues for sure. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Reading the story, it was pretty easy to, to be like, she had some issues, probably stemming from that, I would say. 
Because then they were homeless after he passed away. They lost their home. Yeah, I think that people who go through a childhood like this can choose what path they go down. They can decide whether they want to use that as a way to make excuses for themselves to be callous and Uh to, to not care. Because I think that there are so many people who are wonderful people who go through stuff like this. And so it didn't make them into that person. So I do, I think that, you know, it's not necessarily that she ended up the way she did because of these things, but it's, it probably sent her on that road and she had a choice to make of whether, you know, to let it make her be that way or not. So she... Unfortunately, the cottage that they lived in, that family, was tied to her father's job. And so now her mom is a widow and they have children and there's no reason for that mining company who considered their father property and, you know, no better than to just have them delivered in a sack. They don't care about that family either. So they turned them right out onto the street. So they had to leave. So her mom remarried right away and that was and some of the research when I was doing it apparently that was very common very common it was not normal for a woman to be without a man yeah um in those days they even said even men because men needed someone at home right taking care of the children right so if mom died in childbirth or died from some illness that was common back then they can't they can't go to work and leave the children at home they have to have so they would marry so that's like people could not really reasonably especially in in this tier of you know class they had to be connected with someone else because they had to help each other out so mom married remarried right away and then when she turned 16 Marianne left home to become a nurse for a man's children Uh, his name was Edward Potter he had many children and so she went to be, and it said a nurse, I'm assuming she didn't go to school or anything, you know, training. She just. Right. It's more like a caretaker. Yes. That's what I was kind of assuming from this. Then he, when they got old enough, I guess, sent all of them off to boarding school and she ended up going back home to where her mom and stepfather lived. And then she trained as a dressmaker at that point. Which is ironically what she really wanted to be. She wanted to, I read an article that said she really wanted to be a dressmaker, but for their little community community that they lived in, it was very poor, poverty stricken. So nobody had the means to employ her to be a dressmaker, plus affording the linens and that sort of thing would be outrageous. But people of her class were only able to be caretakers. You know, women had very menial jobs and and a caretaker was one of them. And apparently she was not happy being just a caretaker or a nurse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I definitely don't think she was had that (laughs) in her at all. She was she was all about she's all about Mary. Yep. Yes, she was. In 1852, she married her first husband, William Mowbray. And then over the next 10 years or so, they together had eight or nine children. And I say eight or nine because back then they were supposed to report births, but they didn't necessarily always do that. So there aren't a lot of records that show exactly all of the births of those of the children. So no one's even sure how many children they had, but eight or nine. Heck, if I had eight or nine kids, I oh. probably, what's one more? I mean, I would know if I had passed like three, how many do I have? Uh-huh. I would just lose it. I, I would just be like, whatever. <laughs> One more. <laughs> oh, 
<laughs> so by the time the family finally, they kind of moved around a lot, and then they finally settled down in Durham County in 1856. By this time, they had only three surviving children. All of the others had died from gastric fever, which is typhoid fever. I kept looking up, what is gastric fever? And Google kept taking me to typhoid. And I'm like, I didn't say typhoid. I said gastric. Right. Finally, I was like, Google, why don't you tell me that typhoid and gastric are the same thing? But it didn't bother to tell me that. So I spent like 30 minutes trying to figure it out. Typhoid fever is the same thing. Yeah. I read too. I thought it was pretty interesting. Families moved around back then. It was a part of the industrial period. And because they had to follow work, they were like nomads. They just lived wherever. They moved so frequently. And also, if you imagine if you killed off a kid or two between a couple of towns, you roll into a new town, nobody would ever know. Yeah, that's true. And also, I saw where they would stay in like, like the whole family would be in one room yeah. together. Yeah. Can you imagine that? No. no, with eight or nine kids? Nope. That would be awful. How are they even having more kids if they're all in one room together? Uh, exactly. That's not even right. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> typhoid fever for those people that, that aren't familiar, because if you're in the United States, there are people that listen to this podcast all over the world, all over. And thank you guys, by the way, because we keep showing up on lists on ch- on the charts, which is so amazing in countries all over the world. And I'm just fascinated by that's awesome. And, yeah, including the UK. So we were, I think, uh, last week, Mark tells me all the time, he's like, you're at 38, you're at this, you're at that. And we were in the 30s, I think, at some point over in the UK, which was awesome. That is amazing. I know. I appreciate them so much. Australia, Canada, and all sorts of different. Norway. We were like way at the top for a long time in Norway. Where'd you go, Norway? Because I haven't seen you in a while. So anyway, there. But people in the United States are probably not that familiar with typhoid. But if you are leaving the United States and going to travel, be sure and check with the CDC and check with your doctor to see if you need to get a vaccine because there is a vaccine. Typhoid fever is a life-threatening illness, uh-huh. and it's caused by Salmonella bacteria, and it's something you definitely don't want to deal with. Ironically, fun fact: typhoid fever has symptoms similar to arsenic poisoning. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Little foreshadowing there. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> so I forgot to say this at the beginning, but Mary was born on Halloween. <gasps> Premonition. Is that not weird? Yeah. It's almost like did did she decide? <laughs> well, I was born on Halloween, <laughs> or I don't know. It was just bizarre. That's strange. That is bizarre. <laughs> In 1865, William, her her husband, died of an intestinal disorder. So all of it. So we we have. All of her children, except three, dying of gastric fever or typhoid fever. And then her husband died of an intestinal disorder. And then the lives of uh, William and their children were insured by the British and Prudential Insurance Office. And so Mary was able to collect a payout equal to about half a year's wages of a manual labor at the time. That's, I mean, that's, that was a lot of money mm-hmm. for them, for her. Yeah. Now, after William died, and there are some, this is terrible, but there's so many births deaths marriages deaths uh, it's hard to keep up with my head was spinning I was just like I had to write them down what is I want to I need a graph or something I can't (laughs) this woman is crazy but after he died of course there was only one surviving child so of all the children that she ended up having with her first husband however many there were not only 
that all of them die except one, but also her husband died. And then that child was a daughter and she ended up leaving her in the care of her mother. Which was way safer. Oh, uh, yes. It was safer for the daughter for sure. And then she moved to become a nurse at a hospital. So there she goes. And I guess at the time, (laughs) nursing or whatever they were calling nursing, who knows whether it was trained or whether it was a caregiver. I don't, you know, it doesn't really go into detail, but I think nurses maybe were more, there could be sort of like an on the job kind of thing. Right. So that had to be what it was. Cause I don't think she went to school, you know? No, I think she would have been too poor to go to school. Yes, for sure. And just would, yeah. not, would not have been able to, Mm-mm. but she, while working there at that hospital, she met a patient by the name of George Ward and married him that same year. So her husband just died like in January of that year in 1865. And then later, by the end of that year, she had already moved on, met and married another man, this George Ward. So this is her second husband. Poor George. Like he didn't even get a full paragraph. He was already. <laughs> George did not even get a full paragraph. That's true. Very observant. He, well, what are you going to do? Because he met her at the end of that year. And then by the very following year, he, he died. Now, he was a patient in the hospital in Mary's defense, and maybe he was already sick. Who knows? <laughs> but, however, Marianne did collect money from another insurance policy on George's behalf. She was able to find work as a housekeeper for a man by the name of James Robinson. He was a widower, and just weeks after she got there to James Robinson's house to become his housekeeper, one of his five children succumbed to, you guessed it, gastric fever. So, just awful. The following year, Marianne went to visit her mom, good old, dear old mom, and mom died about a week after Mary returned. And then, so since her mom passed away, she took her daughter, the one that she had left with her mom, and then moved back into, or went back to Robinson's home that, that where she was being a housekeeper. Then in April of 1867, her daughter and two more of, Ro- or two of Robin- Robinson's children also passed away. And this is a time when that typhoid fever and other illnesses were going around. This is before really people understood about hand hygiene and clean water, the importance of germs and that sort of thing. And so it it's not like it was incredibly uncommon for people to die of things like this. And she's moving around so much. No, like you said, you, you know, you move from one area to another. No one knows that you had a That's husband right. and umpteen children. And nine kids. <laughs> yeah. So in August of that same year, Mary Ann married that man that she had been a housekeeper for, Mr. Robinson. And then they had two children. Only one of those survived. His name was George. And then in 1869, he, this man that she's living with, discovered that she was stealing from him. So this guy sounds like he's a little smarter than your average husband. (laughs) (laughs) Than her average husband, maybe. Yeah. Because he's like going, there's some stuff missing. And I don't really understand this because they're married. So how do you, but I guess he starts to see things are missing. I don't know if she's selling them or what. Like his kids? His kids are missing? Well, your kids are missing, for one thing, Mr. Robinson. Did you notice that? Yeah, he didn't notice that part. He just noticed the stuff gone. His money's gone. So, also, he grew suspicious of her repeated requests that he take out a life insurance policy. Hmm. He's like, well, this seems odd. Why do you keep asking me about the life insurance policy? I think if, if 
maybe if uh, my husband started being like, hey, you think we should think about life insurance for you? Like, not me, just, you know, just in case anything happens to you. (laughs) And then just keep on, here's the paper, honey, here, let me hold the pen for you. I probably would get suspicious too. Absolutely. Who even knew life insurance existed in 1869? And why did it? If it's so common for people to die and people are just... Exactly. I don't know how. You know, life insurance companies, insurance companies, period, they're not doing anything out of the love of their hearts. They were making money somehow. So I wonder if she was using the money from her last insurance policy from the last deceased husband to pay for new insurance policies, bigger ones. I bet she was. I wonder if that was a thing. Who knows? It's almost like this weird insurance Ponzi scheme, sort of, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) use the money from here. (laughs) So she left or it was thrown out either way. Not really sure, but she left him, but didn't actually get a divorce and she was homeless for a little while. So I'm assuming he was probably like, yeah, I... Between you stealing stuff, my children dying, and you trying to take out a life insurance policy, I've pretty much put two and two together here. You need to leave. So she left. And then in 1870, Marianne met another widower by the name of Frederick Cotton. And he was the brother of, I guess, a friend of hers. So she, she had a friend. And then Frederick Cotton is the brother of this friend. That year, both his sister... And his youngest child died. So I'm wondering if people, I, I feel I feel like wherever Mary went, she was either so incredibly unlucky, like the most unlucky person in the entire <laughs> world ever, or she just, whoever was in, if she met any resistance whatsoever to whatever her plan was, <laughs> you <laughs> don't drink the water. Gone. <laughs> just don't drink the water. Yep. Yeah, so in September of 1870, Marianne and Frederick Cotton were married, even though she was still married to Robinson, but I don't think that she would probably have any qualms about... I don't think he really cared. He was probably like, thank goodness. Yeah, he was just like, whatever. She doesn't care. Like, she cares about breaking any laws whatsoever. And then she gave birth to a son from from him, Mr. Cotton. So by the end of the following year, Cotton and two more children had died. And then, of course, more insurance payments. I I know that Mark and I have been frustrated before because we have, we live <laughs> in an area, like our, our house is surrounded by these huge trees. And so we've had a couple of trees fall on our, on our house or really close to it and cause damage. And then we had to do an insurance claim. And our deductible went up at one point for a time because of that. And we were so ticked because I'm like, we have been paying insurance payments on to the same company for decades here. And uh-huh. we uh-huh. go and try to use it a couple of times. And they're like, oh, dear, you mean you're going to actually use the insurance? Well, then if you anything happens to your house, you're going to have to pay $3,000. But how in the world does she keep using? <laughs> How's the insurance company not picking up on this? It's got to be new towns. Because, you know, they did travel around a lot. So And new insurance companies? New insurance. I, mean, I don't know. It's like not even in America. I don't know what they did in know. England in the 1800s. Some, either these insurance companies are not very smart. Or she got like 20 cents. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I did read? Because I was like, wow. I, obviously, there is no birth, birth control. 
And so I was reading this article and then I watched a couple YouTube videos because I just, well, I like this kind of thing too, but I thought it was really interesting to know that it was not uncommon for women to poison children that they didn't want because they were unable to feed their children. There was no birth control. And so it was normal for people to poison their babies and their kids when they couldn't afford to feed them anymore. Good grief. That's terrible. Right? So was she really like doing anything different from what anybody else was doing? She just maybe took it a little far a couple of times, killed a few husbands. Like mm. that is so sad. And it's whenever I, again, and, and I know this was a little bit of a different time period, but whenever I think about like the Dick, the, the Dickens books mm-hmm. and how children were just not, there were, they were almost like rats, you know, they, like, especially the orphans this running around the city. Exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's crazy for me to think about that now. Ever anyone having that attitude. I love children so much. And it's one of the reasons I could not be a pediatric nurse or a NICU nurse because I could, my heart just goes, it's too hard for me. I cannot stand the thought of it. I can't stand to hear them cry. I can't stand to hear them cry. I can't stand to don't see. Don't want to hurt them. Oh, no, I don't I don't want to do things that are good for them that hurt. And I certainly could not stand to see them really, you know, suffering and in pain and in a situation that's not going to get better or going home with parents that I know aren't going to take care of them. Like I just that's what I could not stand when I was in the cl- doing clinicals. I just thought I can't handle this. Yeah, I'm just, no. I can't sleep at night when I go home. So it's hard for me to understand like an entire community of people in that whole era that saw children like this just expendable expendable yep yep they said it was incredibly common wow I guess that's how they controlled the population like I guess yeah and they probably for maybe for a mom I guess if they went through the awful experience of attaching to a baby and then watching it die or not being able to feed it yeah like it literally lays there and dies a little more humane I guess maybe they're just thinking I can't go through that again I'm not gonna watch a baby suffer oh that's terrible hate it hate it yeah so around that time the time that all this is going on she took up with a man who, and, and when I'm reading this as a former lover, so at some point in all this mess, this woman has a guy on the side. <laughs> <laughs> she was busy. She was so busy. <laughs> His name was Joseph Natras. And even though she kind of took up with him, she w- became pregnant by another man who, whose name was John Quick Manning. That's his last name. That's his, his like a hyphenated name. So Mary Ann is just getting all over the place. And I feel like I've lost everyone at this point because we have married and divorced and or not divorced and babies have died and children have died and husbands. Where we kind of are at this point is she's sort of in between her arrangements. (laughs) And this person, Joseph, who is her sort of like a boyfriend, I guess they didn't get married or anything, but somehow he 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 did die in 1872 and he left whatever belongings he did have to her and then she wanted to marry. So I'm just imagining in the way Mary's mind works somehow. So I'm, I've got my boyfriend, Joseph, kind of want his stuff that he has. I know it's not much, but I'd like to have it. Pregnant by this guy over here, Mr. Quick Manning. But I can't have both unless, you know. So then I got to get rid of Mr. Naturis, get that stuff. And then she wants to, then I'll be able, I'll be free to marry Mr. Quick Manning. Well, the problem is she still had one of the children of Frederick Cotton, and his name was Charles Edward Cotton. So she has a child there 
it was he was a stepson. He was not one of her children. Not that that mattered. <laughs> it, did, <laughs> it didn't matter at all. <laughs> but she wanted to marry the father of this new child, but she couldn't, I guess, because she had the stepson. I'm not sure what. If this, I think that's, that sounds about right. Yeah. But Mr. Quick Manning was like, well, we're not going to get married because you have this stepson. Sounds about right. So she starts talking to a parish official, and his name is Thomas Riley, because she went to help nurse a woman who had smallpox, and I guess he somehow related to this this uh, situation. She starts complaining to him, to Mr. Riley, that, that the last surviving child, Charles Edward Cotton, was in the way and keeping her from being able to marry Mr. Quick Manning who, of course, is the father of her unborn child. So she asked Mr. Riley if the boy could somehow be committed to the workhouse. She wants to be like, hey, could you just take him and use him in your, you know, like, I don't know, work on the mines or something? You know, do you do you know that they used to use small children to go up, like, as ch- little chimney sweeps? You know, they would put them up because they were so little. So and small. Could, uh-huh. and, and expendable. Like, if something happened to him, eh. We can just get another one. But could you imagine being that seven-year-old boy? Oh. And her supposed to be in your safe place? So I just awful. can't imagine. And she's like, yeah, no, no thanks. It breaks my heart. I'm a stepkid, and I have I have a stepkid, and I couldn't imagine saying that about mine. Well, it's just, no one in her in her circle yeah. was at all worth anything to her. But once she complains to this man, Mr. Riley, about her stepson... And kind of was like, hey, could you take him on as a worker? He says, well, you'd have to come with him. You can't just send him off. Well, she's like, eh, he's sickly anyway. She said, I won't be troubled long. He'll go like the rest of the cottons. And Mr. Riley's thinking in the back of his mind, well, that's that's an odd thing to say. What a mean, horrible thing to say. And then Mary Ann, who maybe isn't the sharpest crayon in the in the box of Crayolas. <laughs> Because five days later, the boy does die. And Mr. Riley is like, uh, no, this is not a coincidence. He went to the village police and convinced the doctor to, rather than just writing a death certificate, wait until the circumstances could be investigated. Who do you think, I mean, who would you call? Who would be your first call if, um, you know, uh, maybe someone really close to you, certainly a child, died I don't know, maybe the insurance company, Tiffany? Is that the first person? That, that is the first person I'm going to call because I've <laughs> killed all my other family. Right. I mean, who else do I have? And I don't have any boyfriends on the side right now. Yeah, no boyfriends on the side. I guess I'd, I would call. I would need some money. You got the insurance company on speed dial. <laughs> <laughs> or on speed horse. Speed horse. <laughs> no. I don't know. She's like, I got to call my insurance company. And they're like, did you call the doctor? And she's like, uh, <laughs> oops. <laughs> oh, so she found out by, when she called the insurance company, she, I need my money. And they're like, no, you don't get money unless you have a death certificate. We need to have a, a death certificate to, before we give you any money. And when she starts really looking into this, like, oh, I need a, a, a they're going, mm, you're so worried about that death certificate. You're so worried about that insurance money. Let's look into this real closely. They did hold an inquest about this death and a jury which is kind of weird to me, but they had a jury decide this, returned a verdict of natural causes. She said that she used arrowroot to relieve his illness and that Riley had only made those accusations against her because she had rejected his advances. 
So I guess she she's able to charm her way out of everything. I mean, she's a smooth talker. This whole, a jury, yeah, a jury bought this. I mean, maybe they were scared she would poison them. They may have, they may have been. I mean, maybe in a small community like that, they probably were thinking, good grief, how easy is it for her to obviously do this? But I guess if you don't have the benefit of all of the information of knowing all of her past and the the, the people and where she came from and how she was married to this person and all these children died and then she's married to another person and all these children died and then keeps going. They don't have the benefit of all of that information. They only know this one situation that happened. Right. So if a, if a woman says, hey, he was making sexual advances toward me. I refused him and then he decided this is how he's going to get back. Almost kudos to this jury for believing her because a lot of people don't believe women when they say things like this. And it happens pretty commonly. Yeah. I think though back then, I think they, a a woman's, what's the right word? A woman's word was her word, you know, and, and men and women were very much separated then. So maybe they looked at like this woman would never, a woman would never say something like this. Yeah. Yeah. So unfortunately for Marianne, but fortunately for any subsequent children and, and husbands, the local newspapers got a hold of this story and they, someone, some journalist starts digging into her past and cause they start looking at this story and they're like, where'd she come from? And they're like, wait, um, you mean in this other town, she had this husband and these children died and her mom died and this child, child died, and this other. Okay. So then this journalist is, is saying, so she's been moving all around Northern England, lost three husbands, a lover, a friend, her mother, 11 children, and all of them died of a stomach fever. This is not, okay. That's not that's looking more good. more than bad luck. That's definitely more than bad luck. And even in a time when those things are typhoid fever and, and all of the, all of those illnesses are common, they shouldn't be that common for one. Right. For one human. Person. Yes. Yeah. So now this story is getting all this attention. And so the newspapers are talking about it. People, of course, the rumor mill, everyone's talking about it around town. Mary is arrested and they tested Charles, the little boy. They tested his system and found arsenic. So they did charge her with his murder although they had to delay the trial because she's pregnant so she has to give birth to her 13th and final child she named this child margaret edith quick manning cotton and her defense 13 kids 13 kids she wanted to give her 13 names i guess (laughs) what an unlucky number 13 and it would she was born on halloween she had 13 children yeah Her defense argued during the trial that Charles had died from inhaling arsenic used as dye in the green wallpaper of the house where they lived. So arsenic was not necessarily something that was, it it was pretty prevalent back then. Uh It's not like they guarded these, these substances like they do now. So they, it was in wallpaper and it, it was just sitting on counters in, in pharmacies. So the doctor testified that in the chemist shop, there wasn't another, there was no other powder, but only a liquid on the same shelf as the arsenic. But the chemist himself said that there uh, were other powders and that the, it was possible that the chemist had mistaken, the, the defense said, well, it's possible that the chemist had mistaken the arsenic powder for bismuth 
powder, which is used to treat diarrhea, mm-hmm. when making up a bottle of medicine for Mr. Cotton or with for little um, Charles Cotton, because he said he could have been distracted when talking to other people, and you know, may, what movie does that make you think of? Does it make you think of It's a Wonderful Life and the little oh, guy? Oh yeah, yeah. That's the first thing I thought of. The pharmacist who you know put the it's poison, I tell you, it's poison. Yeah. <laughs> and I just watched that last weekend. Oh, so sweet. So that's the first thing I thought was like, oh my gosh, yeah, it it probably was pretty easy to make a mistake like that, which is crazy. Probably was. So that was her defense. Pretty daggum good defense, if you ask me. That I mean, he had to get pretty creative with all this stuff, and they and I'm sure the defense attorney is like, good grief, you're not giving me a lot to work with here, woman. But the jury, after they went back for. 90 minutes they I guess they discussed everything and were like yeah we're not buying that because they did return a guilty verdict and she was hanged on March 24th of 1873 and the thing is the guy that ended up being the person who I guess he's called a hangman he's the one that kind of ties the rope and everything did you see that he was notorious for deliberately like tying the the rigging it up the wrong way Mm mm-hmm to delay the death and she mm-hmm. didn't die from her neck breaking she died from strangulation which would have taken a lot longer for her to die yeah they said that um the trap door uh, something about it wasn't positioned high enough yeah and so like they had to press down on her shoulders oh. to get her to i mean they kind of killed her really if you think about it it's not it's like oh that whole situation is awful for the people having to carry because that out. like the whole town came to probably watch right kids and all <laughs> it's not funny I don't know why I'm laughing but oh, because the same reason I do I do I'm the like same it's thing. just terrible from start to finish the whole story it's unbelievable you know I would just wonder is it and I I've talked before about the death penalty I can't remember if I've said anything on this show before because I've been on other podcasts where I've been interviewed and I know I've talked about it but I did a paper when I was in nursing school or no, before I was in nursing school, when I was doing my prereqs, I did a paper on the death penalty. And it was a one of those papers where you're kind of trying to prove something. Uh-huh. And I did it on the death penalty. And when I started out, I thought I believed in the death penalty. And I was going to be like, this is why you should believe in the death penalty. And I had all my reasons ready. And I went and researched it. And I changed my own mind after I did all the research because I was just like, good grief, I don't believe in the death penalty. This is terrible. I did the exact same thing. Really? Yes. That's amazing. And I think it's really, it's not an easy thing to do to change your position on something. I mean, you, most people, once you have it in your head that you believe something and you know why, you think you know why you believe it, it's really not easy to change your mind. I mean, it's not. But I think for me, it goes with who am I to say when someone's ending is. Yeah. It's it's who might say who, when someone's ending is it's uh, the fact that so many people have been put to death who were innocent. Yeah. And yeah. it's something you cannot undo. You can let somebody out of prison after 20 years. Yeah, death is pretty final. <laughs> yes, you cannot undo that. There were there were several reasons. But um, when I think about someone like this, there, there are certain times when I, I hear about some awful thing that somebody did and I'm just like oh I changed my mind I believe in it again <laughs> you know but but, but in reality don't. and that's the reason that the thing is you you cannot have someone who is a victim or you cannot use those circumstances to determine what's right when it comes to the death penalty you have to look at it in a very sober manner and think about what's right as a society what do you, mm-hmm. what kind of 
kind of people do we want to be? You know, and do honestly, we want to stoop to that level or do we want to be, um, you know. Honestly, too, I feel like she had some sociopath oh. qu- qualities. Yeah. Um, so I feel like, you know, mental illness definitely played a role in this. And, you know, if you're mentally ill, then yeah. I don't feel like, you know, death is warranted. I know. So. And it's, it's just such a, I, you know, every now and then we wander into, you know, sort of controversial topics on here. And, mm-hmm. and I'm I always welcome someone else's opinion about something. And I love, you know, and if you have a different opinion about that, definitely message me, email me and let me know what your thoughts are on it. But, um, and if you have any questions about it, I'd be happy to answer you um, on those as well, because I definitely have researched it myself, and I, I welcome you to research that. It's uh, it's fascinating, and, and I also uh, would ask that you, if you think you have your yourself um, firmly on one side of the issue or the other, um, challenge yourself on that, you know? Look at the other sides of, of issues, not just the death penalty. There's all kinds of things that if you really research and truly open your mind up and think and consider the other side you might you might change your mind I don't know so Marianne never did confess to any of these deaths and the number of her victims they don't really know because they really don't know how many children she had and who knows she could have killed other people and that they don't didn't even realize right most people believe she did kill at least 21 people and that made her the most prolific serial killer in the United Kingdom, which is crazy. And when I, a lot of these, uh, the uh, accounts I was reading and the stories that I was reading said that she's really not that well known in the UK, which I thought that was so weird. But in the little region where she was, was she's everybody knows and it, they said if you say the name Mary Cotton, they see they say this little nursery rhyme, which is so weird. That's weird. Yeah. Um, and I don't even remember Spooky. what it was, but they were like children, like skipping rope, Mary Cotton. Oh, no, 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 <laughs> I know. So no. that was our bad nurse story, Tiffany. I don't know what you think about it, but it was creepy to me. It's bad. <laughs> it was kind of, it's sad, too. It's just sad. The whole thing is just sad. It's awful. For, for me, um, whenever I do one of these stories from like 100, 150 years ago, it's a little bit easier to stomach just because I know all the people associated with that, you know, the family, anybody who's connected to that person, you're so far removed from it that I, and I sure. don't feel horrible about, you know, talking about it. It's still t- terrible when you really put yourself there and think about the people that she impacted, the families, the poor children who were just so vulnerable. Well, 13 of her 21 victims were children, right? Yeah. I mean, if they can't even um, rely on their own mother to have compassion for them and, and love for them, they were, you know, I don't know. It's insane. So our good nurse story, I cannot even believe when I was looking up a good nurse story and I came across this, I wanted to try to find a nurse from this sort of uh, similar era, sort of similar era, not exactly, but similar time period. And I found out Walt Whitman, are you kidding me? Walt Whitman was a nurse, people. I know that was a shocker. I did not expect that. I was like, why is she sending me about him? And I was like, and when I did the same thing, when I looked up, uh, when I was looking it up and, and the name came up, I thought, what are the chances someone's name is Walt Whitman? That had to have been on purpose. And I was like, and then I looked at the years that he was around and I'm like, wait a minute, that can't possibly be. So, but no, Walt Whitman, the journalist, the poet that 
that we all had to read and you know in high school and in college leaves of grass that walt whitman was a nurse and he got his inspiration for uh, becoming he was a male nurse he was the first nurse <laughs> <laughs> i love it nurse male nurses are so funny they're either on one firmly on one side or the other of that of that they're either they either roll their eyes and they're like Ugh. they hate it or they'll they wear it proudly and they'll like you know on instagram and everything they'll proudly call themselves a nurse but <laughs> i like it but he he decided he wanted to become a male nurse while in the battle zone at Fredericksburg, Virginia, where he found his brother recovering from a superficial wound, a facial, uh, facial wound. And he said he was greatly moved by the suffering of the wounded men in the battlefield um, there in the hospital. And he volunteered to work as a nurse. And then he said he um, started earning the trust and respect of the doctors on the battlefield. And on a strict back, trip back from Fredericksburg to Washington... He was put in charge of a trainload of casualties who had to be transferred to the hospital. This is kind of crazy when I think about it. Like, he he must have been very impressive. Well, I'm sure. When I was reading this, I was just gobbling up these words. Like, I could see it um, in my head. I could just see him, you know, with the, with the soldiers. And, like, I just, I don't know. I feel like my heart grew. It's just like, oh my gosh, I can't stop reading. Well, it's a fascinating story. And this article in particular is really so well written that it does put you right there. It really is. I don't know if there's a movie made about him, but there needs to be a movie. Yeah, I I had no, I didn't learn this in school. I didn't either. How have, Which is disappointing. I do remember learning about Walt Whitman. Yeah. Yeah, how do we not know he's a nurse? And then how have nursing schools not latched onto this? If I was a nursing instructor, I would immediately be going, you know, any any famous name like this, you would, I would think, shouting it from the roof. Absolutely. So he, it says he just, while the wounded are being moved around from a train to a steamboat for to go up the Potomac River, he just wandered among them, writing down their messages to their families, promising to send them, comforting the soldiers with his calm and concern. And it doesn't, if you really think about it, it shouldn't really surprise you to think about how compassionate he would be. It's so, oh. Got you right in the feels. It does. It got me in the feels. Because not only, I mean, if you read his yeah. his stuff, mm-hmm. like, he just had to really be a man of great compassion and feeling and so everything that he touched had feeling whether it was words his emotions it's exactly what most well it's what any good nurse has in them for sure so it said by the time he got to Washington he was determined to stay a few days in order to visit more wounded soldiers and he knew he said at some level he would want to remain there for uh, the duration of the war and he was just overcome by the suffering of so many people there that were wounded in Washington. He decided to stay and work in the hospitals for the duration of the war. And he always insisted that he gained more from the soldiers than they received from him. Oh, kills me. <laughs> uh, he considered those years of hospital service the greatest privilege and satisfaction. And, of course, the most profound lesson of my life. He's, he just kills me. I can't even stand it. <laughs> I have cold chills. <laughs> and and that's why we always put the good nurse at the end. We want to um, highlight wonderful people and how wonderful nurses are. And, we, and I always try to say this and remind people that the bad nurse, yes, it's necessary. Those people exist. There are bad people in this world. And some of them end up being nurses or doctors or some medical professional. 
And you don't want to pretend like that doesn't happen. You cannot just bury your head in the sand and pretend like that stuff doesn't happen. They're going to continue to do that. That's got to, you've got to shine a light in the darkness. But I love to end on this positive note because it reminds us it is so nice. It makes you feel so much better after all that darkness. And it reminds you that the vast majority of healthcare professionals are wonderful, absolutely kind, compassionate yeah. people who sacrifice themselves and who consider it an honor and a privilege to take care of your you and your family yeah. and your children. And so that's who nurses are. It's who doctors are. It's who any physical therapists, all of the, all of CNAs, LPNs, all the healthcare team. Mm -hmm. Anybody who gets up in the morning or evening and goes and takes care of another human life and values that life most of the time over their own, you know, this, this is why we do what we do. And it is a privilege and, and I do get my satisfaction from caring for other people. Yeah. And so thank goodness we do have people who are willing to sacrifice themselves, who are willing to work an entire 12 hour shift without going to the bathroom, without taking a drink of water, getting a kidney stone or getting, getting dehydrated. That's what that's what real healthcare professionals, wonderful nurses and doctors do. Yeah, I mean, that's very true. So I guess that's it for another episode of Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Thank you so much, Tiffany. I appreciate you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you. I just want to remind you guys to go and look us up on Good Nurse, Bad Nurse on Instagram and GNBM Podcast on Facebook. And send me an email if you want to at tina at goodnursebadnurse.com. Or you can go to our website, of course, at goodnursebadnurse.com. And I also want to remind you guys, even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse. Right, Tiffany? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs>